Well, hello and welcome to The Activator, a podcast dedicated to helping you develop confidence and strategies to share your faith. My name is Josh Duell. I'm your host, and today we're going to be talking with Randy Newman. Randy is the Senior Fellow for Evangelism and Apologetics at the C.S. Lewis Institute in the Washington, D.C. area. He's taught at a number of theological seminaries and colleges as well and served for over 30 years with Campus Crusades for Christ. He's written a number of great books on evangelism, and in our conversation today, we're going to be discussing his book, Questioning Evangelism, which is all about the art of rabbinical questioning. Um, I'm fascinated by this topic. I loved his book, and I know you're going to enjoy the conversation. We're going to talk about how Randy converted from Judaism to Christianity, how we can engage our Jewish friends and neighbors more effectively, and how we can use this ancient art of rabbinical questioning. It's fascinating. Um, Afterwards, we're going to close off with some tips that can help anyone better engage evangelically with those around them. Without further ado, then, um, here's my conversation with Randy. Well, Randy, welcome to the podcast. Uh, It's great to be with you. Thanks very much. Uh, You are the Senior Fellow for Evangelism and Apologetics at the C.S. Lewis Institute. Uh, You've taught at a number of theological seminaries, colleges. You served with Campus Crusades for 30 years, and you've written a number of really great books, um, all largely to do with evangelism, all the ones I've read anyway. Um, Yeah, you've had a new one that just came out like a couple months ago now, right? Yes, yes. Yes. So, so far, you have told people all things that are true. Um, that's good. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so your new book, Mere Evangelism, uh, 10 Insights from C.S. Lewis to Help You Share Your Faith. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, I've been uh, teaching and writing about evangelism for a while, and the topic of pre-evangelism comes up all the time. Things that we need to say uh, prior conversations before we get to evangelism, articulating and, and proclaiming the gospel. And I just thought C.S. Lewis did that better than anybody. Lots of people have said we need to do it, but they didn't necessarily model it uh, that much. But I thought Lewis, in those BBC radio broadcasts that then became the book, Mere Christianity, is just a brilliant display of what we mean about how we how we move people from their presuppositions and and their the, the places where we have common ground mm-hmm. and use those conversations to the uncommon ground of we we believe the gospel they don't and so um, so I just I, I wanted to dig in and, and look at evangelism through the life writings and his conversion. Um, and how that could apply to uh, evangelism. So it was it was a fun project to work on. It was, it was still plenty of work, but it was uh, hopefully very helpful for people. Oh, fantastic. And you, of course, have a deep love of C.S. Lewis and you work for the C.S. Lewis Institute. So I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that. I haven't had a chance yet, but maybe we can have another conversation after I've had a chance to check it out. Oh, I'd love it. I'd love to do that. Uh, you, like C.S. Lewis, this is fascinating to me, you've written a lot on evangelism, but you didn't grow up in a Christian home either. Uh, you actually came to faith out of Judaism. And That's right. And I have s- so many questions I want to ask you about that, but I'd love actually <clears throat> to just um, hear a little bit about your journey to faith and what made you so passionate about sharing the gospel. Sure. Um, 
Well, like you said, I, I grew up in a Jewish home, uh, suburbs of New York City, uh, so a very Jewish area of the country. And um, uh, my, my parents, my, my dad fought in World War II, so they were of that Jewish generation that first learned of the horrors of the Holocaust. And in a Jewish area, uh, after that point, it was, there was a very strong emphasis on raising your children to know what it meant to be Jewish and uh, help them participate in Jewish community and Jewish worship, even though my parents were not all that particularly religious or observant. So, um, but so I took, I took Judaism more seriously than my family, I think. And, um, and yet Judaism was always uh, frustrating in that it just never seemed like it connected me to God. It always seemed like these were rituals in a different language, by the way, in Hebrew. And um, it just didn't seem to connect me to God. Um, when I was in high school, I met a bunch of Christian friends who did seem to connect to God. I mean, they, they prayed to God in English. They prayed about everything. And I I just was so intrigued by that. And when I asked questions about it, they they told me it was all about Jesus. And I thought, well, we're Jewish. We don't do Jesus, especially after learning of anti-Semitism. And so, um, so I, I, you know, they gave me a new Testament to read, but I didn't read it. They told me I should read C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. I wasn't, I was not going to read any book with the word Christianity in, in the title. Um, I went off to college. I thought life was absurd, pointless, meaningless. Uh, I got drunk a whole lot. I, I thought life was just a big joke until, um, this friend of mine died in a very, very tragic accident, and that just kind of forced me to say, okay, wait a minute, I, I, I got to do some serious thinking. And I checked out a whole lot of different philosophers, and I started reading the Gospel of Matthew and C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And God used all of those things to draw me to himself, and uh, I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. Now that was, that was the short version. I, I, I tell a longer version of it in uh, in some of the things I write, but I, I figured you know we're doing a podcast, not a, uh, a two hour documentary. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, um, so I, I know a little bit more of that because I've read some of your other writings. Um, but it's fascinating to me because it's not a story that I've seen a lot. I I think I only know one other person who's come to faith out of Judaism. Um, but sadly, I. You know, I imagine that isn't a story too many people have encountered either. I and mean, I'm curious, from your perspective, is there sufficient ministry designed to engage those practicing Judaism in North America today? Oh, man, yes. Um, all right, so um, uh, my, my two favorites are Chosen People Ministries and Jews for Jesus. I think they're doing great work at proclaiming the gospel in ways that are relevant and compelling to Jewish people. But if you haven't heard too many stories of Jewish people becoming believers, you should check out the website, ifoundshalom.com. And uh, there are dozens and dozens of five minute or so about that length videos of Jewish people telling their story about how they became believers. And uh, I had the great privilege of being part of that project several years ago. and. It's it's a really great tool, and, and people are visiting that site a whole lot, particularly in, in Israel and also here in the U.S. So I found shalom.com. You should uh, check that out. 
um, after we're done with this recording. Yeah, yes, of course, of <laughs> course. Um, I, I'm fascinated by this. You know, I I, I have a, a couple Jewish friends now. I've actually just moved to, to plant a church in a new community, and I'm living by um, a pastor who I knew when I, in, in my teen years who has converted to Judaism. Mm. And so um, you, you've come to mind a couple of times. I know you have a book called Engaging with Jewish People. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I think a listener might imagine, you know, walking a Jewish friend as they engage with them through the scripture, showing them how Jesus fulfills prophecy, making a case for him um, being the Jewish Messiah. I'm curious, um, you, you said like you were very reticent to read something with the word Christian in it or discuss the idea of Jesus. Now, I started out as a, a JW and Jehovah's Witnesses, are in, you're trained in how to argue against things like the divinity of Christ, the, the Trinity mm-hmm. and so forth. Is that how it is within Judaism? Were you taught reasons why Jesus isn't the Messiah? Or or where did some of that um, hesitancy come from in you? Well, it's all of those things that you've just said. By the way, I, 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 now sometimes I want to have a podcast where I'm asking you the questions about coming out of Jehovah's Witness. But we'll save that <laughs> for another time. Um, um, so... So, well, first of all, it starts with um, to be Jewish in the world today um, means several things, but high on the list is uh, being very, very aware of persecution and anti-Semitism. And not just after the Holocaust, but our whole entire history is, I mean, you know, we have... uh, uh, one of our biggest holidays is Passover, which you know talks about being delivered from slavery. So, so our whole history is filled with um, people trying to wipe us off the face of the earth. Uh, it's it's really stunning. We have a holiday um, called Purim, uh, which re- retells the Book of Esther again about someone who wanted to wipe Jewish people off the face of the earth. So yes, it's just a very real reality of being Jewish in the world today. And so, uh, and unfortunately, a whole lot of that persecution has come from people who at least identify in some way as being Christian in the most vague sense of that word. So from a Jewish perspective, um, Nazi Germany was a Christian country. Now, we could certainly make a strong case that the Nazis were not Christians, and there's nothing Christian about that, and yes, yes, yes. But from a Jewish perspective— it's, you know, it's very much a we-they mentality, and we are Jewish, and they, if they're Gentile, they're Christian, uh, unless they're Muslim or, you know, something. But generally, so, so they think that, you know, it's the enemy. Christians are the enemy. So, so it's not a whole lot of cognitive arguments against Jesus. It's much more of a, just a repulsion of, listen, we don't want anything to do with that. Now, there is, there is quite a bit also, in addition to intellectual arguments against why Jesus isn't or wasn't the Messiah, but I, I actually had uh, um, only some exposure to those arguments. It was just more of a general repulsion. We don't have anything to do with that. Um, but, so it wasn't so, like so, a polemic that you were taught? Well, no, the, the polemic that I was taught was... Um, all religions are basically the same. Um, ours happens to be Jewish, but nobody should try to convert anybody from one religion to the other because they're all, they all basically have great strengths. And, um, 
they're all going to have, uh, people are all going to go to heaven unless they did something really, really horrible like the Nazis. Um, and that Jesus was just a good teacher. He was a good rabbi. You know, he wasn't anything more. He certainly, he wasn't the Messiah. He wasn't God. He was just a good teacher. And that was, that was a strongly uh, indoctrinated polemic. So when I finally did decide to read the New Testament, I was just shocked about how radical the claims Jesus made about himself and, and the writers of the New Testament, what they said about Jesus. And so I, I was really struck by that famous quote of C.S. Lewis that uh, a person who made the kind of claims that Jesus made about himself would not be a great teacher. Either he was a lunatic on the level of a person who calls himself a poached egg, <laughs> um, or he was who he said he was. And, and that, those words in Lewis combined with what I read, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, were just shocking and disruptive, and oh my, I've, I've got to rethink pretty much everything. Well, that's fascinating. You know, so you, you have this um, acceptance of Jesus as a, a good rabbi, within Judaism. Um, is, there, is there much uh, engagement with what Jesus would have said? Like if you acknowledge him as a good rabbi w- w- within Judaism, is there any time of the year or, or, or place in writings where you're reading of Jesus? Or, or does it really take somebody within Judaism reading something like the book of Matthew to begin to actually wrestle with what Jesus said? Um, yeah, it, you have to go uh, to the Gospels themselves or or just, you know, learning about Jesus. We, the Jewish community, for the most part, and I really mean most, just totally ignores Jesus. No, we, we don't we don't want to we, we don't want to think about him. We don't want to do anything about him. We don't want to read about him. Um, now, there there is some, you know, training um sometimes called anti-missionary training of here arguments why Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. And by the way, the, the strongest argument is the Messianic prophecies say that when the Messiah comes, there will be peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb, uh, neither will, shall they train for war anymore. Well, that obviously hasn't happened, so therefore the Messiah can't, couldn't have come. I mean, do we have world peace? No. End of discussion. Um, and so, you know, for the for the person who reads the Gospels, you have to go... Hmm. Um, yeah, those, I mean, there, there are those prophecies for sure. There are also these prophecies of a Messiah suffering like Isaiah 53. How do, how do we put this together? And, um, you, you either ignore the data. That's probably the most common Jewish response or some Jewish, uh, scholars have said, given these two very different pictures of the Messiah, the suffering servant on one hand and the reigning king on the other, maybe there's two messiahs. And we as Christians would say, well, that's probably better than just ignoring the data. Uh, Christians would say, no, we have one messiah, but he comes twice. And the first time he comes as a suffering servant, the second time he comes as the reigning king. And we're in between those two comings. Again, you have a book called Engaging with Jewish People, um, would point people to that. Um, just one last question before we move on from this topic, though. If, if, if someone listening has a friend who's in Judaism or maybe their town has a larger Jewish population, how would you coach someone just to effectively share the gospel with a Jewish friend or neighbor or begin a discussion that could go in this direction? Yeah. 
Well, uh, first, I, I, I really do love those two ministries I mentioned, Chosen People Ministries and Jews for Jesus. They have excellent websites, and they both have resources on their websites about how do you talk to Jewish people about Jesus. So those would be really great starting points. Um, I think a, another place of conversation would be to, um, uh, well, I obviously pray very, very much that God would work in Jewish people's hearts and draw them to himself. But then I would explore, you know, hey, I wonder if we could talk about this sometime. I'd, I'd like to learn about your Jewish beliefs, and I'd love to tell you about my Christian beliefs and compare and discuss. And and that will probably be uncomfortable for both people in that conversation. So it's 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 choosing to um, uh, raise the uncomfortable issue, but for the purpose of comparing and sharing and and then see where the Lord takes those conversations. Um, that would that would be the the short answer to a very longer uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good tip, though. And um, often. This is how Christians expect evangelism to happen, is somebody to just walk up and say, hey, tell me about your faith, which mm. doesn't happen all too often, uh, <laughs> barely ever. I think we need a better approach than that. But what if we use that as our approach, walking up to somebody of a different faith and just saying, hey, I'd like to know more about your faith as a way to open a discussion? Um, really, really good idea. Um, you know, I... I Specifically, want to talk to you about another book you've written, though. Um, it's a fantastic book. It's called Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. I absolutely love this book, Randy. It was um, recommended to me by a friend. Uh, this is how I first came across your writing. And my my copy is dog-eared and marked up. I think it's an absolute must-read, in my opinion. Mm, no, um, thank you. you. Say, it's fantastic, yes. Now, you say in the book, an evangelistic method requires three skills. The first and most basic is declaring the gospel, clearly and concisely articulating the message of salvation. The second skill we need is defending the gospel. And then the third is built on the foundation of declaring and defending the gospel kind of together. Uh, you call that skill dialoguing the gospel um, which is really what the book's all about, Dialoguing the Gospel Through the Art of Question Asking. Uh, the title kind of gives it away, uh, Questioning Evangelism, um, Engaging People the Way Jesus Did. And you, in the book, you talk about how Jesus engaged people with an ancient form of rabbinical questioning. Can you, can you explain what the art of rabbinical questioning is? Sure. Um, well... I'm going to answer your question with a question because mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't read. I can't. I, why shouldn't I? Um, what what Which happens? Which is the art of rabbinical questioning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, what happens when somebody asks you a question? Doesn't your mind start working of, okay, well, what, what's the answer? What, what happens when someone asks you a question? When you start thinking, you start uh, brainstorming of possible different answers, or, or you wonder why are they asking that question, or it's, it's very engaging in the process. But if someone just answers a question, you don't necessarily have to be engaged. In fact, you might just be building up resistance to their answer. So, um, uh, I, I, it started with a study of how Jesus chose to answer people's questions. And I mm -hmm. found that 
a very, very high percentage of the time, he didn't answer their questions, at least not right away. He answered their questions with questions. Uh, you know, the guy comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me why good? Call me good. And so my training as a fairly young Christian in, in evangelism um, k- kind of had the model that I did all the talking as the evangelist. I did all the talking, and it wasn't, it wasn't a two-way conversation that much. It was a one-way presentation. And that method works, I think, in, in some settings. I think it's working less and less as our world gets more secular and more postmodern. Um, but, but I just found that it wasn't really very effective that I, you know, where I did all the talking. And so, um, as you, as you mentioned earlier, I was with Campus Crusade for many years and I was always on campuses where the standard Campus Crusade approaches didn't work. I was on the East Coast of the U.S., big cities, lots of skepticism, lots of international students from different uh, religions. And, you know, can I share this booklet with you? No, take your booklet away. Get away from me. You're weird. And, um, you know, would you like to know God personally? Well, maybe, but not from you. Um, (laughs) uh, So, you know, I mean, it was just the stuff didn't work. And so I had to experiment with making it more of a two-way conversation. And, in fact, where, where they did most of the talking I found that that was actually more effective by asking questions and answering questions with questions. And uh, so that book kind of came out of, first of all, a whole lot of frustration and failure, and then a whole lot of experimenting and saying, oh, I think this I, th- I think this approach might have some merit. Um, so I, I tried to articulate the method in that book, and then I tried to apply it to standard questions people would ask. So if people ask questions about why does a good God allow evil and suffering or why do you believe the Bible, uh, I tried to show, well, what, what would a conversation about that question be or how would that sound instead of just an answer, um, you know, a declarative, uh, mm. I don't know, short little sermon, making it much more of a two-way dialogue. Um, so you you've cited the um, Jesus being asked um, um, why do you, and saying you know why do you call me good? Is there an, anywhere else that like really stuck out where you saw Jesus doing this that um, that kind of opened your mind up as you began to see this idea of um, rabbinical questioning? Well, once you start looking for it, it's all over the place. I, like I mm. said, um, I, I I decided to. Um, uh, you know, in Bible study, writing things down and making lists and making observations is amazingly powerful. So I just took out a piece of paper and I drew a line down the middle and I wrote down all the places where people asked Jesus a question on the left side and then how he answered on the right side. I ended up with, I don't know, 10 pages full of notes. And more than half the time, he answered a question with a question. So, you know, um, they said, is it lawful for us to heal on the Sabbath? And he said, well, if you had an animal that fell into the ditch, wouldn't you pull it out? Or they said, um, is it okay for us to get a divorce? And he said, what did Moses write? And um, mm. uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He said, let me see a coin. Whose face is on the coin? I mean, mm. it's, it's, what happens is by answering a question with a question, 
the, the questioner gets engaged in the answering process and, and comes to an answer without hearing it first. They, they, they first kind of realize it in their own head. Now, there's plenty of times when Jesus did give an answer, for sure. But, but a lot of, I mean, so often it was answering a question with a question. And sometimes it was, it was trying to point out that their motives for asking were not very sincere. There's a number of places people ask the question. And he said, why are you trying to trap me? Um, in, in fact, I, I think it's even amusing as a child, you remember that whole crazy story about he's, he's in the temple and his parents lose him, and, <laughs> and then they go back and, you know, you know and, and, and yes. And, um, and you know, why, uh, why did you do this to us? He said, didn't you know, I had to be about my father's business, he even answered his mother with a question, um, which in some Jewish circles would be terribly disrespectful. So, you know. Mm. Um, so it's, it's just a brilliant rabbinic teaching device that, and, and it's, and, and you've got to be careful. You've got to, you know, examine your heart and ask God to work in your heart. It's not to be a wise guy. It's not to be, it's not to win an argument. It's to engage people in the answering process so that they can move from, uh, darkness to light. That's good. It's so good. Um, could you share an example maybe of a conversation you've had where you've used this method? Mm, yeah. Um, well, my, my favorite example um, is, is, was with my mother, my Jewish mother. And if people can recall Jewish mother jokes, you know, at this point that, you know, they're, they're, they're true and they're not funny. Um, but, um, I tried witnessing to my parents for decades and nothing worked. I, I sent them books and videos and, you know, I preached sermons and, and nothing really got through. And then I guess my mother was in her seventies and she was telling me on the phone about a funeral she had been to. And I knew, I knew the person who died, who was a very, very angry, uh, mean spirited atheist. And uh, he died after this terribly long, tragic illness. And my mother said, well, at least now he's in a better place. And I remember, I remember exactly where I was standing, talking to her on the phone, thinking, well, I don't, I'm not so sure he's in a better place. But I, but I decided to ask a question instead of make a statement. I mean, I, I could have preached a whole sermon at that point, but I didn't. Yeah. She said, at least now he's in a better place. And I said, well, mom, how do you know that? And that, I mean, that was really uncomfortable for her and for me, and it kind of, you know, shut the conversation down for a while. But it forced her to really think about, well, how, how do, well, how have I come to believe that, you know? And eventually, she said on the phone, "Well, I guess I really don't know that." And I thought, "Oh, this is really good." And that started for my mother in her seventies reading the New Testament, and my mother became a believer when she was seventy-five years old. Um, wow. and that was almost 20 years ago. She's, she's still alive. In fact, uh, wow. she's in her nineties. And, um, so, so a question in that case proved to be more, uh, powerful or influential than, uh, a whole sermon that I could have preached. Hmm. By the way, I'm not opposed to sermons. They're really great. They're very, very important. They're, so I, sure I, they have their I place. I don't, want, I don't want your listeners to hear that I'm, I'm anti-sermon. I'm not. Um, 
In fact, they, they have their own kind of power, sermons do. So that's, that's another, it's another route to evangelism. But most believers do not preach sermons. They do have conversations. Yeah, that's right. And and I think most of the places we're going to intersect with people is it's going to be in a conversation for I you know the church today often imagines um the Sunday morning gathering being the primary place that evangelism takes place, but I think that's the least likely person for or sorry, pardon me. I think that's the least likely place that a non-Christian would ever show up on a Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, so although although let's not Let's not totally rule it out because there there are non-believers showing up at churches against all odds. So it's really amazing. I completely agree. Uh, like we cannot ignore the fact that there are people showing up in the spirit. Actually, so the other Jewish fellow I know that came to faith had walked past our church building for years. Mm-hmm. And he said he just felt a draw to this building. And one morning he walked by and saw us open and he came in and he heard the gospel. Mm-hmm. came to faith. So um, it can happen both ways. <laughs> yeah, the Lord right. likes to use really bizarre ways to draw um, people to himself. But in conversations is probably one of the um, predominant places that evangelism is going to take place and needs to take place now if we're going to reach um, the, the large number of people who are several degrees removed from connection to anyone who knows faith so or is part of the faith. Let's just say you were part of Campus Crusades for years. So if you were in a conversation with someone, um, the person you're speaking to had some direct questions, maybe some of the historic defeater questions to borrow from Keller. So, for example, if somebody came up to you and said, you know, how could there be evil if there's a sovereign and kind God? How would you go about answering this and trying to find, you know, a balance between rabbinical questioning and answering their objections directly or in a preaching format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, b- by the way, let, let me just say something before I forget it, because um, uh, about conversation. Uh, I, think, I think being a good conversationalist is an art to be developed, and it's a lifelong skill, and I think we all need to be growing and becoming better and better at it. So I, I don't think it's ever like we ever arrive at, oh, I'm a good conversationalist. I think we always want to be working at it. And I also think it's it's kind of a dying art in our culture where we're, 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 we're losing the ability for good, meaningful conversation for a whole host of reasons, but I won't go into that. But so so I think if we can become good conversationalists, it's, it's a really beautiful way to show respect and love for people and engage them in, in really deep levels. So I, I think that that's a really crucial part of our discipleship and our spiritual growth. I, I agree um, with you on that too. I think conversation's a lost art and, and something that we definitely need to uh, grow in. Yeah. Okay. But so applying this method to the very, very difficult question about evil and suffering. So, um, well, the, the first thing I would want to do is I, I would want to acknowledge the complexity and the difficulty of the question. So, because it, it is a big question. I would say, oh, yeah, I mean, that's, whew, that's really a very, very complex and difficult issue. And so I would want to try to sort of enlist the other person in the answering process and say something like, 
Um, well, are, are, are you up for some, for some good long conversations about this? Cause, it, cause uh, you know, there's no simplistic little short answer. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, are you really, you know, would, uh, I'd really like to dig into this with you. And that's, so that's one part. Another part I would say is I, I would say I, I struggle with this too. I, I think, um, it's a very, very disturbing thing, uh, the evil and suffering we see in the world. And even for us Christians, um, I, think, I, think, I think we have a very, very good answer to that question as Christians. But it still is an incomplete answer. And I think everybody's answer is incomplete. There's an atheist answer, there's a Jewish answer, there's a Christian, there's a Buddhist answer. I mean, there's only... It's only a handful of ways people have ever dealt with this issue, and they're all frustrating and they're all incomplete. But I do think the Christian one is the best of the lot, and it is the one with the most hope and strength and help, but it still is a puzzle and it's deeply disturbing. Why? I mean, even as as Christians, we have to look and see you know, some people suffer terribly their whole entire lives, and other people never do. I mean, they, you know, they, they live a kind of healthy life, and they die in their sleep. And other people are tragically cut down by disease when they're 30. And, um, and, and you know, if I, I think one of the biggest mistakes Christians make about this evil and suffering question is implying that it's not really all that complex or all that big a deal. It's a very big deal and it's deeply disturbing. And so I think it's, it's kind of like, let's both dive into this question, acknowledging the difficulty and complexity and then talk about, well, here's, here's what we do know. And here's how a faith that's built around someone who dies and rises from the dead can offer us hope and strength, even in the midst of incomplete answers. And there's a number of questions I imagine people m- might come up against. You know, so many people go, Jesus was a moral teacher, but I don't think he was God. Or, <clears throat> I think I am a good person. Everyone deep down is good, and so we're okay. Um, Christians who believe they're the only ones going to heaven or intolerant, you know, all religions are true. Lots of questions that we might, or, or, or pushback that we might come up against. Um, if someone wanted to try to implement this into their conversations or dialogue around these points, how could they go about, you know, developing and implementing this skill? Is there a set of questions you recommend they use? Or how do you kind of train yourself to begin to enter conversations thinking this way, that I'm going to implement and use rabbinical questioning here? Well, um, let's see, I, I have two responses. The first one's really obnoxious, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> okay. And that is, well, I, you know, I, I, I wrote this book called Questioning Evangelism, and I, I, I think it's got some good stuff in there. So they, they, they might want to read that book. Um, <laughs> yes, they should. <laughs> like, I, like I said, that was obnoxious. And here, wait, I'll, I'll make it even more obnoxious. Uh, I'm delighted to say, I mean, that book's almost 20 years old already. And the publisher has asked me to update it. So we're working together now on a third edition that's going to come out sometime in 2022. I don't know when, but, but I mean, I really needed to update because a lot of my illustrations were pretty old and, uh, the world has changed a little bit in the last 20 years. So, um, 
Well, uh, in fact, we, in that. fact, I added a whole new chapter about science. Why are why are so many Christians anti-science or negative mm. about science? So, so anyway, so end of commercial. I think the book could be helpful. Um, I, I think to ans- to start answering your question, the first is I I would encourage people to start employing this skill art of asking questions in other areas of life other than faith and religion. So become a good listener and a good question asker about topics that are a whole lot easier than faith and religion. So if you find out where somebody's from, oh, so I've never been there. What is your hometown like? And what was it like growing up there? And how has that shaped the way you live now? And are there things that you miss about that area of the country or the world? Or So in other words, become very inquisitive and a good questioner and a good listener about things that are much easier to talk about. <laughs> so you develop mm-hmm. those skills there. It's kind of like, you know, riding the bicycle with training wheels. Well, you, you, you learn how to do it first with the, making it as easy as possible. And then you graduate to the difficult stuff. Because if the first words out of your mouth are, um, you know, have you discovered the wonderful joy of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I, that's kind of a that's pretty tough place to start for a whole lot of yeah. people. So, um, so that's that would be my recommendation. Well, that's good. Yeah, the book um, has many great chapters of dialogues, um, kind of around some of the bigger questions that we might people might have towards Christianity or objections they have in their mind towards Christianity. Really helpful. I do recommend people go get the book. Um, even I'm excited there's going to be an update, but it's incredibly relevant as is. And so um, would recommend people go and get it. It will help you develop a really strong strategy for any conversation um, you might encounter. Now, we, we've talked about what rabbinical questioning is, but you also write a fair bit on what it isn't. Could you walk us through a bit of that? How could we wrongly go about just asking questions? Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know if this is all that I went into in the book, but I mean, it, it is worth thinking, well, what, what would be some bad ways to do this? So, you know, barraging people with a million questions that puts them on the defensive, that's not a very good way to have a good conversation. Um, um, leading questions that seem to force people into directions are, are bad. Um, I, I remember one time being asked a question by someone and, and the way they worded the question was, well, don't you think that, 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 that. and I, and I, I wanted to respond, don't you think that asking a question with the words, don't you think is really not really asking what they think. It's really, you're telling them what you think they should think. So, we need to listen to how conversations go. Um, pretty much everything that happens on uh, in the news media on television now are bad examples. Sarcasm, mean-spirited, um, straw man building, uh, it's just terrible. So if you want to learn how to, how to do it poorly or wrongly or disrespectfully, um, uh, the, <laughs> on both sides of the political spectrum, you can get plenty of strong sure, examples. Absolutely. So we need to find uh, ways to ask questions in ways that don't feel like we're attacking people. Um, 
Uh, it's not, we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying mm. to uh, introduce people to the Savior. Um, now, we do, need to, we do need to, you know, present reasonable arguments, um, but that's different than winning an argument. Um, we want to win people. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, to everyone listening, we, we've barely even scratched the surface of what this book has to offer, and you have many other books as well. Um, but there's so much practical wisdom contained in, in, in all of your writing. Um, before we go, I, I was hoping you could share a couple practical tips that you know the average listener could implement in order to make them more effective in their evangelistic witness. Mm, sure. Well, the first thing is uh, uh, kind of following Colossians 4, 2 through 6, is uh, to devote yourselves to prayer. So I, I would want people to be very, very diligent to pray regularly, consistently for non-believers that they know to come to faith. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is I, I would encourage people to start spiritual conversations, even if you have no idea how they'll go. I, I think some of us delay or, or just never start the conversation because we want to map out how we think it'll go, almost like a flow chart. If they say this, I'll say this. If they ask this question, I'll say this. And you can do that, but you know, rarely does it work out that way. I think it's start a conversation, see where the Lord takes it. And, and if it gets to a place where you don't know what to say next, you say, gee, I don't know. That's a good boy. That's a good point. I got to think about that. Um, so I think, I think some of us put too much of a burden of, I've got to have it all figured out beforehand. And I think that's kind of oppressive and, and difficult to live up to. If people want to find out more about you, uh, where's the best place for them to go in and find out more? Ah, thank you. Um, well, I do serve at the C.S. Lewis Institute, so we have a cslewisinstitute.org website, and a whole bunch of my articles are there. Um, uh, I also have my own website, uh, randydavidnewman.com. Uh, that's a good pointer to uh, my books and writings and stuff like that. Fantastic. Yeah. And I'll have links in the show notes to your books at a number of different retailers. I would love to chat again, maybe after I've read um, your newest book. Um, thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, it's been great chatting. It's been wonderful. Well, if you enjoyed what you heard in this week's episode, be sure to go leave a comment or share it with a friend who you think might enjoy it as well. And be sure to hit subscribe because we have more great episodes coming your way in the near future. Until then, keep an eye out for the situations the Holy Spirit might be setting up for you to share your faith this week. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.